there everyone and welcome along to A Wee Blether About, a podcast from the Academic Skills Team at UWS. My name is Linda Riches and I'm one of the Academic Skills Advisors at the University. So today we're delighted to have a special guest along to chat about a topic that many of you might have experienced and I know we all certainly have in Academic Skills and that's imposter syndrome. So we've got Dr Chloe McLean here who's a lecturer at UWS and she lectures in sociology and also teaches and supervises PhD students. Hi there, Chloe. Hi there, Linda. Nice to um, nice of you to invite me onto the podcast. Really glad to be here. Thank you. No worries. And um, as always, we've got um, Carly. Hi, Carly. Hi, Linda. And we've got John as well. Hi, John. Hello. Hi. My, my fellow academic skills advisors and. We're all really looking forward to this chat today about imposter syndrome. And just for a bit of context, um, Chloe wrote a really interesting um, piece of research um, that's that's in a book called The Handbook of Imposter Syndrome in HV. And I didn't even realise there was a book that covered that topic. And she wrote a really interesting article called Rise With Your Class, Not Out of Your Class, um, looking at sort of class and looking at imposter syndrome in HE. So... What we'd better start off with maybe is thinking about what imposter syndrome is. So it's a term, I guess, that we've heard and it's maybe a a term that people are, you know, sort of familiar with, but maybe not quite sure. So, Chloe, could you give us a very sort of brief what is imposter syndrome and then we'll maybe chip in with when we feel we've experienced it? Yeah, sure. So imposter syndrome is often centred around feelings of inadequacy in a given setting. So in higher education, that can often be intellectual inadequacy. And it leads often to the individual feeling like they might be a bit of a fraud in higher education. They're somehow flicking their way through their degree or through their career as an academic. But really, they feel like underneath it all, they don't have a grasp of the subject that they're studying. They don't have much intelligence. So they feel like someone that's inauthentic in that space that is masking as if they're a successful academic or a successful student but underneath it all they worry that they might be unveiled um, and that their true lack of intellect might be shown. Now often people feel like imposters despite evidence that suggests that actually they are very intelligent so often students will be getting good grades, they'll be getting good feedback from their lecturers Um, And likewise, other people in higher education are doing their job very well. And there's lots of symbols of that. But despite all these signs, which are showing that we're very competent and we're doing really well, often people can still feel like an imposter. And I guess just one important thing to add on um, in this relatively brief outline of imposter syndrome is that it's often presented as an individual problem. So in popular culture, when we hear imposter syndrome, we also think of that as being something that's attached to the individual, that the individual has this imposter syndrome, which is some sort of flaw in their own self-esteem, and that the individual should work on their self-esteem, and that will then resolve the imposter syndrome. But actually, academics like Maddie Breeze who is one of the um, editors of the Handbook of Imposter Syndrome in Higher Education, she suggests that imposter syndrome isn't only an individual feeling, but rather it's a public feeling. It's something that is created by institutions like universities that can make people feel by the different practices involved in those institutions. It actually is 
the structures of that university that are making people feel that way rather than it being something that's inherently flawed in the individuals that feel like imposters. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point. And probably so maybe we'll get onto that a bit later, you know, a responsibility of the university to be aware of that and aware of maybe how practices and, and you know, maybe the way that we deal with students, how that could impact on imposter syndrome. I'm going to bring in John and then Carly here um, for some examples. John, does that relate to you, imposter syndrome? So definitely, this is when I was studying for, so probably the regular listeners of the podcast will know that I've got a lot of experience teaching English to international students. So I did a qualification called the diploma in that, which is done after like two years of service of of, of teaching English. Um, But I came into that with very kind of, well, basically with the bare minimum, the two years of service and in a job that wasn't maybe typical of my peers I think my peers had a lot more experience and a lot more many years of experience they had had typical jobs in that in that sector for example they had been teaching grammar and I hadn't really been doing that in my in my previous job so I felt a bit kind of lost in that situation and I was kind of questioning am I really in the in the right place um so I definitely remember having that feeling because I think it's really important when you when you look around when you go onto one of these courses you kind of tend to kind of weigh up yourself against your peers and that that was definitely what was happening I I shouldn't have been worried about that because I should have just known that I had the qualifications to be on there I had every right to be on there but I think just human nature means that you kind of compare yourself to other people and I think we'll kind of come on to that maybe later and talk about oh the typical kind of students that we have here at, at UWS and how that might relate to them. Yeah yeah what about you Carly has imposter syndrome been something that you've been aware of? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, for me, it's definitely crept in professionally, but I think also in my studies. When I did my master's program, I was one of the youngest in the cohort. And I, um, you know, I'd taken a break from my first degree and I worked for a few years and then I decided to return to studies. And I thought that I would be at least, you know, kind of the average age or even older if people had immediately transitioned. But the cohort, there were people from, you know, maybe early mid twenties, all the way to their mid fifties. Um, and there were a lot of people that were more mature students. And I felt a little bit like an imposter because a lot, everyone else had a lot of professional experience in the area. And I had worked in an entirely different field and was coming in to study something that was relatively new to me. So I thought everybody else would have, you know, a lot more practice so they could relate all the theory that we're talking about, you know, back to. And I just, I was worried about kind of being found out in a sense that I didn't have as much experience in that area. But it, it's funny when you go into those situations and you have those those fears of kind of feeling like a, a fraud, as Chloe had said before as well, because then talking to some of the mature students who I became really close with and I'm still friends with now, um, they kind of felt the opposite where they thought, well, what am I doing here? What am I doing returning to education when I already have a career in one area and kind of didn't feel like they fit in because um, just because they'd been removed from education for so long, which I think a lot of UWS students can really relate to as well. But um, I think it's something that I felt a lot initially when I started the program, but as you start kind of working and speaking with others, 
you realize how common it is and for different reasons. And that kind of eased it in a sense. Um, but not to say I don't feel it in a lot of different ways and in different settings and professionally sometimes now too. Yeah. So I think yeah. it sometimes can be an element of transitioning to these new settings or transitioning to these new environments. But ideally, you know, it will diminish a little bit as you get acquainted with things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I've had a couple of experiences. I think one as a mature learner. So I, I think I often find I can really relate to mature learners coming into a really strange environment and just feeling like a fish out of water and just not feeling comfortable at all. Um, and then professionally, when I really before I was an academic skills advisor, when I was sort of working with some students, I do remember a student sort of saying to me, oh, thanks so much. You've been such a support. And me sort of thinking to myself, if only you knew, like, how unqualified I felt to to be doing that job. You know, I had to, I was starting to, to go back into study. So I was sort of in the middle of study. And I don't think I had completed my degree even at that point. Um, and I just remember feeling like a real fraud. I thought if she could then, if she could look and see what my qualifications are, she wouldn't be saying that. And I felt really self-conscious about it. In a strange way, it then sort of spurred me on to want to get more qualifications um, and to try and feel part of that um, that institution at the time. I don't know if that's something that sometimes happens, Chloe. Do, do people sometimes feel that then they, they're trying to fit in to sort of overcome that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. Um you know, people that feel like they're an imposter think, okay, well, here's my flaws. This is the list of my flaws that I see in myself um, that make me unsuitable for the role that I'm doing, whether that be as a student or a, somebody working in any type of profession. And so they think, right, how can I make, what can I do to try and fit in and fix me? Um, and Obviously, you know, doing CPD and learning is always great and always learning more, you know, is fantastic. And as people in higher education set, and that's why we love education so much, we love to learn and keep developing, right? And so there's no problem in that at all. But I guess maybe a sociologist might say that, you know, there's a limit to whether that's going to, our individual work on ourselves is going to resolve the imposter syndrome because the syndrome starts outside of us within whichever setting um, that we work in or study in. So there are different things in the structures of the settings that we can't change. So one thing, for example, in higher education settings um, is that we're continually being assessed non-stop. So students are always having to create a mark on what their value is by providing and finishing up assessments. And they have multiple assessments for multiple modules. So it's a continual cycle of their value being put up for grabs again. And that continual cycle is something that unfortunately, um, within the degree system, that's, that's there. And students can't opt out of that unless they opt out of the degree. So whilst they can work on their self, they aren't going to be able to stop the fact that they're going to continually be brought up for reassessment again and again and again. And that function of continually monitoring where someone is at um, is certainly a function that can manifest and create imposter syndrome. Mm, yeah, I think... Um 
probably, I'm sure John and Carly have something to say about this. I think we see this a lot in academic skills. So um, I often say that a big part of our job is about um, confidence with students. You know, it's not to do with ability. They actually can do what they need to do, but their confidence sometimes is really low. And we'll often get students say, you know, I came onto this course to do the practical element, but I can't write an assignment. Oh, and, and the phrase I always hear from students is, I'm not academic. You know, that's the kind of phrase that they use. Is, is that is that what you find, John and, and Carly? I'll come to you, John, first with students. You know, is it that confidence thing that you find you're talking to students about a lot? Yeah, that is a very common thing. And I always I kind of say to students as well that... that, that you do have to go through, unfortunately, the academic stage. There's, I mean, if the, if the Scottish, I'm sure the Scottish government would like to kind of recruit more kind of nurses, more more teachers, and not pay for the the education part of that. But ultimately, you do have to go through that process because it's how you learn, and you would want to be talking about kind of nurses and, and teachers to be taught or looked after by um, qualified people that have gone through that that learning process. So it. it unfortunately yeah you can't opt out of that and it's something you do have to go through the other thing is that that the, the students have got you know that they've every right to be on that course you know their qualifications mm. have been checked they have the or, or experience so you know they it's it's not their fault that they're on the court somebody's somebody's cleared them to go on that course so i i, I would look at it that way and and the other thing is not to get obsessed about the flaws as well because that is leading to almost like a vicious cycle then where unfortunately that kind of level of obsession then does lead to kind of poor performance maybe and it's it's twisted around as, as chloe says it's looking for the kind of the positives and um seeing it as okay well maybe i don't have some certain skills but i'm going to learn about those and i'm going to develop as the, as the course yeah. progresses yeah, yeah. Do you agree with that, Carly, that do you have conversations about confidence with students when they come to see you? Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's not as explicitly about confidence, it's always kind of that reassurance that students seem to, to seek out. Um, so I think I think I've experienced that same thing a lot where not only are they saying they're not academic, they're saying, I don't know how to sound academic. Does this sound academic enough? And I'm, I'm sure that's something that we've discussed even in brief in the podcasts before. But um, so students sometimes even will freeze up and not even want to write or really let that process linger before they really start to write an assessment. And I've started to say to students because they'll send me drafts and say, this is, this is horrible, but if you could look at it anyway. Um, or this is junk. So I've started to say, allow yourself to write junk because it's probably not junk. It's just a draft. And we see the draftiest drafts and that's how everyone starts. And I think that relates to what John said as well. Like you'll develop these skills, you'll develop your writing, you'll develop as an academic over time and throughout the program. So, um, you know, you weren't expected to have these skills from day one, just as you aren't expected to know all the content in your program from day one. You're not walking in as a qualified nurse or qualified professional in your field. So um, it's just about adjustment. And I think we come in with a lot of pressure on ourselves sometimes and a lot of our students do. Um, so that's where those conversations really come into play when they are already feeling some of that imposter syndrome and then just kind of spread that to the other skills that they feel like they should have right now. So I think just having those conversations more casually and saying, just write something. 
it might be junk. It's probably not junk, you know? So I think that's been been helpful for students and just kind of put things into perspective a little bit that will develop along the way, as, as John had said. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a couple of things there. We'll come on to a minute in what, you know, we can do to sort of help with that imposter syndrome um, issue. But in the piece that you wrote, um, Chloe, there were some quite interesting bits that I found where you sort of... Um, you talked about your own experience of feeling like an imposter. And even when you were um, doing your PhD and not wanting to go into the, the room to, to to where you were allowed to go to, you know, your office sort of thing. Um, and then actually towards the end of the, your article where you're talking about what you kind of do to help students now. So just wondered if you could elaborate on that a little, little bit, because we obviously want to think in this podcast as well about what what can you do about imposter syndrome? How and and who can help with that? And and obviously we are keen to help with that. Um, what is a res- responsibility individually and also with the institution? Yeah, great questions, Linda. I guess just to give the listeners a wee bit of context. Um, so yeah, so my I done my undergrad, masters, and PhD all at Edinburgh Uni. Um, I went there because it was the closest uni to me. I'm from Edinburgh, I lived in Edinburgh for life. Um, but I found that once I went, when I went to university, it felt like a completely different world to me. And as a part of um, Edinburgh and people from Edinburgh that I had never came into contact with in my life before. Um, it is a university which has a high percentage of um, middle and upper class students at it. Um, the majority of their students do come from private schools, despite private schools only in the UK, only 7% of the population go to private schools, but still the majority of those that go to this university come from there. Um, and this was a group of people that I'd never, ever met before. And the universities themselves, kind of the types of things that we learn about and the practices, you know, I was a first generation student. I didn't have anybody in my family that went to university before me. So I didn't really know. I just thought, oh, it's an extension of school. I've enjoyed school. I've enjoyed learning. It'll be the same thing. And to a degree it was. But yes, I would say that I found that um, the culture at the university was very, very different. It's one that did make working class people feel like they didn't fit in and they didn't belong there. Um, through the language that people use, the practices, the fact that lots of other students were very familiar with what a tutorial is, what you do in terms of preparation for a tutorial, what is expected, what is a PhD, how do you get one, uh, what are the stages of a PhD. All these things were very, very new to me. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so when I was at university, um, particularly, you know, during my undergraduate and PhD, um, I often felt as an imposter, but that imposter syndrome wasn't just about feeling intellectually um, intellectually inadequate, but it was also an inadequacy of character, I felt, because it felt yeah. like the idealised version of a student and the image that we see in society about what a student is, is somebody who can afford to move out and live in student accommodations or um, halls of residence where they meet and can socialise with other students. Um, it's somebody that already knows what the practices in universities are, is kind of familiar with what the different stages in a degree are, what you do next after a degree. 
um, that they don't have anybody that's dependent on them, whether that be children or partners or parents that you care for. Um, so, yeah, so this image of a student and, of course, finally, is somebody that's very intelligent and very successful and can use lots of elaborate and fancy words. So this idealised version of a student, which I had in my head as to what a student would be, didn't feel like that was fitting with me and who I was. So that was really the source of where I, how I felt as an imposter and how many working class students can sometimes feel as an imposter because the idealised version of a student isn't one that matches in many ways. But I guess... Um, my journey and what I came to learn eventually was that actually many of the, there was many skills that I brought to academia and it was one of the reasons that I successfully completed an undergrad, a master's, a PhD and got a job in academia. One of the reasons was because of the skills that I'd got from my working class background. Um, skills which aren't always apparent to the lecturers, they aren't always apparent to the system because they're not trained to notice them. They're not trained to notice um, the ways in which working class people can build up a social rapport, which is useful if you want to go and research with people because you need to build up social rapport. They don't acknowledge that the time management is very good because often we manage having multiple jobs and caring responsibilities alongside doing our studies. So these things often aren't acknowledged um, within universities and by lecturers. So as a lecturer now, you know, this is some of the key things that I do like to do. One of the reasons why I love working at UWS is because we have such a diverse range of students that are often working class, parents, etc. And they come with lots and lots of skills. And I think it's the role of the lecturer to recognise those skills and help bring them on, uh, bring those skills to the forefront and help the students acknowledge them as skills. Um, I think that's really, really important. That's something that certainly lecturers can do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's something that you do see at UWS. I think, um, you know, I yeah. think because we have quite, we have such a range, you know, we have a lot of care experienced students, we have a lot of mature students, we have a lot of students juggling lots and lots of different things. And I think we're all very aware of that in academic skills, that when you're speaking to someone about an assignment, I always kind of tend to ask them at the start, you know, how's your week going? Because inevitably, There'll be, there'll be something else going on for them that actually makes, you know, in the ideal world, they would just be studying, but they but they can't do that because they've got so many other things that they're doing. Um, and, and maybe that then impacts on their imposter syndrome a bit, a bit more as well, you know, makes it quite difficult for them. So just really to sort of sum up, Chloe, have you got any sort of little bits of advice for students and have you got any bits of advice for any staff that are listening to this in, in how to help with imposter syndrome? Yeah definitely so I think for both staff and students and I guess I'll speak firstly to students you know I've said from the start it's not an individual flaw in character or imposter syndrome right but nonetheless there are some things which can help us really truly believe that it's not a uh, uh, flaw in ourselves um, and I think one of those things that we can do is start to try and identify what are the things actually from my background that I bring to university that have actually helped um, me become a really good student. Where are the places that I'm succeeding in? And once you start to do that, you'll notice one, that you are doing well, that you're coping, that you're getting through your degree, and that is fantastic. And two, that there are lots and lots of things which the 
typical idea of a student, okay, you might not necessarily fit that, but there's lots of things that you bring that actually those those typical ideas of students can't bring to the table, and which is what makes you particularly fantastic. So I think that's one thing. Like I do sport and I was, once somebody said to me, um, when talking about training and choosing training partners, he said, everybody's got something to give. Everybody brings something to the table. You can learn something from everyone. Um, and I think, you know, really embracing that is great. I think for staff, you know, we are really lucky at UWS because actually a lot of our staff are here precisely because they recognise that talent that working class people and non-traditional students have. And they want to help the world recognise that. And that's fantastic. But I think, um, I think yes, I think, you know, staff being aware um, and trying to stop themselves and critique themselves when they say things about what a typical student should be and start to really question themselves if they do start to use these kind of terms and think, well, actually, am I limiting what I can see in terms of where knowledge is and how knowledge can be created and what type of knowledge is important. Um, mm. And if we wanted to go really radical and think about structures of universities, then yes, we would want to reassess um, how how often and to what level and what value um, the consistent, constant grading of students is. You know, I think there's... There's a, there's a maybe a place for it for sure. Obviously, you know, degrees have have a quality assurance, but the constant monitoring and assessment schedules that students are put under, and um, perhaps that's something radically that universities can think about and think about how they could do things differently to try and enable students to recognise themselves as something that comes with value that can just grow and grow and grow rather than becoming here feeling like they're already lacking because that's not the case. The students are here with lots of potential, already bringing lots to the table, and we're just here to help you grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah, that's really interesting. That's a very thought provoking. It's probably a good point for us to end it. I think we could talk about this for several podcasts, to be honest. Yeah, um, but definitely. we just really wanted to give people a kind of an overview. If people are interested to read a bit more, we could highly recommend um, the Palgrave Handbook of Imposter Syndrome, NHE, and I think it's got open access at the moment, so I think you can actually access that and download it and, and read it for free. And there's lots of really interesting um, articles there about imposter syndrome. Um, so thanks a lot, Chloe. We really appreciate you coming along and um, just giving us a bit of insight into that. I think that's been really interesting for all of us. Good to see you all. And obviously, if that's sort of been a bit thought provoking, if it's made you think um, you you know want to get us to talk about something else on the podcast, or you want us to come back to this in future, then just drop a line to skills at uws.ac.uk. Thanks for listening.